Welcome back, everyone, to Your Life, God's Word, where we take the principles found in Scripture and we apply them to our everyday lives, those areas that are most important, faith, family, and community. In this episode, we discuss God's view on security, debt, how should we handle it, what should we do, what should be our response if we're in debt. Then we move into God's view on a work ethic. What should people in the kingdom of God be like as workers, employees, entrepreneurs? What should our attitude be toward providing for our families? Then we move into the seven things that the Lord hates found in Proverbs chapter 6. These are very important things that we need to keep an eye on because they are literally abominations to God. So let's find out what they are. Let's dive in. Let's go right now. Hey, everybody. Do not start listening to this just yet. Hurry up and go and smash the like button as well as leave a comment. Of course, you might want to save the comment until the end, I guess. If you, <laughs> you want to comment before you even know what the, uh, what the show is about. But also, um, please share these, um, these videos. Again, as we often say, uh, we want people to be helped by these, instructed, uh, help people to grow. And so that helps by uh, you and me and all of us just uh, sharing and getting the word out there and helping people uh, kind of organically in that way. <clears throat> so before we dive in, I want to make a, a quick correction. That's right, a correction uh, from last time. We, uh, we talked um, about chapter 5 of Proverbs. We talked about the adulterous woman. We're going through the Proverbs series, and this is another installment of that. And um, I, I, I said that there are really, when, when two people get married, that really uh, there's only two ways out, and that is uh, death because it's a covenant, it is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. You can go back and watch the whole episode if you want to. But the other is if someone commits adultery, uh, there's infidelity in the marriage, then God uh, will allow for a dissolution of that marriage, but it's not necessary. Uh, it is something that if someone feels like, hey, I can't, you know, can't move on here, can't trust that person anymore, whatever it is, um, it's certainly better to work it out if you can. But that that is the, really the only reason. And um, we drew from, you know, Matthew 5.32. You can also go and look at Matthew chapter 19, first 10 or 12 verses, uh, and go check out the uh, the episode. But in further uh, study and looking at this and thinking about it, I forgot, I was focused so much on Proverbs 5 talking about adultery that I forgot that in the New Testament, uh, Paul actually says uh, something else in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So we're going to go there real quick, and then we're going to dive into uh, Proverbs chapter 6. But check this out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, Paul begins talking about principles for uh, marriage. We, um, we get down into, let's go to verse 10. He says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Uh, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, this right here, 
reiterates what Jesus said. It reiterates what we talked about last time. Paul is reiterating that if you separate, if you get a divorce and there's not been infidelity, then you have to remain unmarried. Because to get remarried when there's not been adultery, infidelity, you are committing adultery, and you're making that other person who married you commit adultery. That's what he's saying right here. If you if you are married and you separate, you're, you're single going forward. <laughs> That's what he's saying, right? So then in verse 12, he says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So it's letting us know here... And certainly drop a comment if you see differently. I'd love to have a chat. What, what what scriptures are you looking at to kind of pull this together? Because in my study of this and looking at this, um, here's, what, here's what this seems to be saying from scripture. That two people get together. Uh, one of them becomes a believer. Um, the other person's not a believer. Um, but they, they, they like being married. They, you know, they're not... Um, causing problems or whatever. It's just, hey, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be a part of the kingdom of God, whatever it is. Um, it says that th- that's not a reason you shouldn't go run out and divorce your husband because you've you're now, you know, throwing in with Jesus, and they're not really down with that. They, they don't really care about that. Um, so it says, go ahead and stay with that husband, or vice versa, right? The husband comes into the kingdom of God, and the, and the, and the, the wife is like, ah, I'm not so sure about that. I like, you know, I like some of these things that I'm doing over here, and God's not cool with that. So <laughs> um, what it's saying is don't, hey, don't divorce them. Don't leave them um, because, right, that other spouse is made holy. The, the children are made holy. Now, just a note there, and other versions say sanctified, right? Just a note there, obviously we know that your faith can't save someone else, right? You're not Jesus. Um, and so what is being sanctified or made holy is not that person standing before God. It's the marriage itself. God is looking at this as a, 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 a sanctified covenant because the believing spouse. He's looking at those children that were born into that marriage as sanctified in him, right? Not sanctified like they're saved. Oh, one person in the family got saved, so everybody's saved. No, it's saying that God, you know, for, let me, let me put it in this term. God will bless that that marriage. God will bless those children because you've got that spouse who has come under covenant with, with him, And so it's not saying they're saved from then on, but it's saying that God has sanctified that marriage. He has blessed that marriage. He has said, hey, this marriage is holy before me. Why? Because one of the spouses has now in covenant with Jesus. They're in covenant with Jesus. They're in covenant with that other spouse. And so it kind of of transposes over to to the other spouse, that, that marriage, the children, right? Not their salvation. 
But then it says, here's where the correction kind of comes in. Here it says that if the unbelieving spouse says, hey, you know what? You're into Jesus now, and I'm not cool with that. I'm out of here. It says this, in such cases, the brother or sister, that would be the spouse that came to Christ, and now their husband or wife is wanting to leave them because of that. The brother or sister is not enslaved, not under bondage. Uh, some, some versions say not uh, under no obligation. Some versions say so. It seems to indicate that if you come to Christ and your spouse now is like, "No, nah, I'm not down with that. I'm leaving you because of your covenant with Jesus, because of your interest in the kingdom of God." Now I'm going to leave you. It seems to be saying that God will allow that as a dissolution in addition to infidelity. Now, again, I think these are probably very rare circumstances. As Well, in that day, probably less rare, but in today's society, especially in Western culture, most people are like, oh, yeah, whatever, you want to go to church on Sunday? That's cool with me. I'm going to sleep in. Um, I've personally never come across someone that, like, their, their wife or husband uh, left them just because they were interested in Jesus now. Um, or, or I've come across people like that and didn't realize that that's what happened. But um, anyway, my experience isn't the thing that, that dictates whether it's true or not. It's the scriptures. And that's what it looks like to me. So let me know what you think. Let me let me know what you're, if, if there's something I'm missing here or, or whatever. So I would say then that means if you get married, there's one of three, there's one of three things. Um, for that marriage to end. One, death. Two, infidelity. Three, the circumstance where one person is not a believer and decides to divorce their believing spouse because they're now a believer in Jesus Christ. So, just wanted to clear that up because we don't want, uh, we don't want fake news out there on the, uh, the old internets. Now do we? So that cleared up, hopefully. Now we're going to dive into Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 1 says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hands of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So, um, this is basically saying, now I know uh, some some um, uh, folks, and I know uh, if you know who Dave Ramsey is, his program with uh, getting debt-free and total money makeover and all that stuff, um, he, he goes big time into this, you know, gazelle intensity, paying off debt, that kind of thing. Um, but it is saying, you know, you get, you've given a pledge, right? You're committing yourself to some debt, and it's saying security for your neighbor. Now, it's, I, you know, I, I guess you could try, you could use this and say that even your own, um, your own debts, uh, try to, gazelle intensity and pay and pay them off and that kind of thing. You can say that, but it, it seems here that um, it, it might be talking more like 
you you are giving up security for your neighbor. Either way, it's talking about debt and getting out of it, getting out, you know, working your way until you're able to get out from under this commitment that you've made. It's interesting. The, the Bible is very big on people keeping their um, their commitments. Uh, the the next section here, actually a couple of sections here in, in Proverbs 6, we'll see a little bit more of that. Um, the, the Bible does not <laughs> look very highly on bearing false witness. Um, in fact, Psalm 15.4 says, those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Um, you know, the, the Bible wants us to keep our word. And if it, even if it hurts, now if we say, hey, we're going to commit to this, we're going to do this, we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, there's a million different things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay that off, or I'm going to, I'll be there at a certain time, or you can count on me to come serve and be a part of this, you know, this thing going on. My phone's like going off vibrating. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Usually I turn that thing off while I'm doing the, doing the, um, the podcast here. I must have forgot. And um, the, the, the thing is, we as a lot of times in Western culture, we get ourselves into things, make commitments, and then think, well, it's totally fine if I just don't do that. that that's not actually cool with God, though, okay? If we get a, for instance, let me give you an example, right? We're, we're talking about debt and stuff, so we'll stick with that. You get a credit card, Right? When you sign, you know, you get all the stuff, the credit card comes to the mail, like, you're pre-approved, and you go on the phone and all this stuff. You're saying, I'm going to charge stuff on this card, and I am going to pay it back. You're giving your word that you're going you're gonna to pay with this card, but then you're going to pay that back. And I will say there are gobs of Christians that don't even think twice about just saying, well, I'm not going to pay that off. And then we'll come get me credit card company, or well, I'll pay you a hundred bucks. You owe us a thousand dollars. Well, I'll give you a hundred if you don't like that. You're you know tough junk, tough stuff. Uh, that is not godly. <laughs> that, that is not godly. Um, now, if you've done that, hey, it's easy peasy, right? Just repent. And if you've already, you know, scammed the credit card company, then repent and move on. If you're in the middle of a scam, you know, get on a payment plan and pay what you owe. Um, the, the idea that we've made commitments to someone and then we can just break that willy nilly is not biblical. It's not right. It's ungodly. It's unrighteous. It's lying. Okay. Now, if you, you know, you get into a situation where, oh, you know, I I was doing fine, had a good job, then they laid me off and I can't pay this, um, call them up and get on a payment plan and pay it off in smaller increments or work something out. If they don't want to work it out and be, they're going to be unreasonable about it and not, well, that's different, right? Maybe you got to, maybe, maybe you've got to say, you know what, fine, it, it, I'm trying to work it out. But if you don't want to work with me because of this extenuating circumstance, right, that might be a reason to, you know, negotiate and that kind of thing. But, but again, just the idea that I ran and got myself into debt, and now it's not fair that I have to pay it off, and somebody on TV said, hey, you don't actually have to pay it, 
that that is not well it may, it may be american but it's not godly um we should just repent move on don't do that again so that that's what you know god has to say about debt in this in this chapter i will say again keeping our commitments is that is a scriptural thing right we talked about marriage marriage is a is a commitment yes it's covenant but it, you know on, on a smaller scale covenant's obviously very much more important and intense right you and the credit card company aren't making a covenant together and just you know but but again it is keeping our commitments we should keep our commitments the bible says even to our own hurt meaning man i said i was going to be there but you know what now it's kind of inconvenient for me you should still do it um th- inconvenience is not a reason to to not keep our our word now if it's a matter of hey i was on my way there and i got three flat tires i cannot be there that's different everybody can see the difference between those two but unfortunately many many people who even wear the label of a christian we don't really look at commitments as something that's binding and just because the other side doesn't have any recourse against you, like they're, they're not going to sue you, or it's like, oh, okay, fine, you're not going to show up, or you're fired, or whatever it is, just because they don't have that, God is still watching. And God is judging, and when we lie, even if we still feel good about ourselves, or our lawyer tells us it's okay, if we lie, if we don't keep our word, we're lying and we will be judged by God ultimately. <laughs> so we might feel fine. We got the money in the bank. We took them for everything they were worth. <laughs> or, you know, somebody owns their own business and they're taking their customers and, you know, or you're a customer and you're like, well, I know this contract's no good. All of that stuff is ungodly. Maybe totally fine when it comes to whatever society you're in, but it's not how God operates. So, Moving on to verse 6, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, You'll probably notice that in the scriptures, the Bible is very big on helping the poor and assisting the poor, and but the Bible is also very balanced and uh, and also no nonsense. A lot of people who are in poverty are there because of their choices. A lot of people are in poverty because they are just lazy bums, <laughs> straight up. That's what the scriptures say. A lot of people are there because they're lazy, or they're there because mom and dad made really bad decisions and now they're reaping what mom and dad sowed and now guess what they have to do they have to dig their way out of it yeah it stinks but that's not everybody else's fault and problem and i should be able to you know steal from you or you know have have somebody else steal from you and then give me assistance that's not that's not how it works the bible is huge on personal responsibility um just a side note here right Everybody wants freedom, personal freedom. Well, a lot of people do. In today's day and age, it seems like a lot of people don't want freedom. They just rather have somebody promise them security, even though they can't promise that. Feels good, I guess. But for those who do want personal freedom, personal liberty, um, that comes with responsibility. 
Freedom to win is also freedom to lose. Freedom to succeed is also freedom to fail. You can't have one without the other. Um, just a little sidebar there. But <clears throat> in any case, the Bible is very big on work ethic, very big on working hard, being honest, being full of integrity. Yes, I know there's a lot of people over oh, there. That's Old Testament, man. That's Proverbs. Um, I don't know why those people sound like a surfer dude, but I guess they do. And uh, so I'm going to go to the New Testament for, for my New Testament folks. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.10. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Right? A person who doesn't want to work should not eat. Well, that's pretty harsh. That means they starve. And if they have kids, that means their kids starve. And if they got a spouse, that means the spouse starves, right? <laughs> um, well, that's just mean. Well, that's, that's New Testament. That's New Testament. And for those that need more than one verse, here you go. 1 Timothy 5 8, right? This is covering everybody, all the different people that are off balance. 1 Timothy 5 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Um, I would say the Bible is pretty straight up, hardcore, no nonsense. We are supposed to provide for our own. Now, that says if someone doesn't want to work, if someone won't provide, if somebody gets in a car accident and they are disabled, I don't mean Western culture disabled where we, we do, you know, do all this finagling to get a doctor to say we're disabled some for, you know, so we can get a check. I mean, you are legitimately disabled. Then there should be... Um, uh, free will societal mechanisms to help those people. When I say free will, I do not believe in, I don't personally believe that. You can believe this if you want, whatever. I don't, I don't personally believe in uh, people taxing the daylights out of everybody and then giving to whatever cause they want. I believe that we should, of our own free will, help those in need. I think one institution that does that is the church or should be the church to take care of the members of its congregation, right? Somebody in the congregation gets in a car accident, can't work for six months, they're laying on their back, going to surgery, whatever it is, the church should bind together and help those people, right? Um, that is, you know, again, I, I, I can't get away from the pastoral side here, right? Obviously, we're talking about somebody in good standing. We're not talking about somebody that comes once a month, doesn't pay any tithes or offerings or anything, and now when they have an accident, now they're like, oh man, I'm a church member here, right? <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. So, but we but we should. We should be people that are giving. We should be people that are loving. We should be people that are kind, gentle, um, and, and charitable. But that's not what this is saying. This is saying if somebody won't work, if somebody just wants to live off the church dole, if somebody wants to be lazy and just, oh, you know, the church should be... No, 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 no. Those people should starve. That's what the Bible says. That's really harsh, but it it's true. Because if you have a bunch of loafers um, all over the place, then you're, you're just living in Marxism um, or socialism. And God's not a socialist. He's not a capitalist either, but he's not. He's definitely not a socialist. <laughs> he's not an anythingist. He's he's God, and he's got his principles, and we should live by those. And if somebody wants to put a label on that, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you, 
right now from the scriptures, things like Marxism, socialism, communism, those are unbiblical um, because God does not believe in the collective mind, the collective will, that he believes in his will and your will aligning. Okay? That's what he that's that's the scriptures. We have free will. God has his plan and purpose. We should freely choose his plan. But if we freely don't choose that, hey, we're free to choose something else. But we will bear the consequences. And in this situation, if we choose not to work, we should starve. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. So yeah. I'm gonna I'd be interested to hear some comments on this if you've, you know, is this hard hitting or what? I you know. Yeah. It is, it is, but it, it's it's good stuff because think of a, of a society where everybody has that drive. Like, you know what? I want to go out, work hard, be a person of integrity, um, minimize the the amount of debt and stuff that I have. Uh, I want to take care of my own and I want to be able to give to others. Think of a society like that. It'd be awesome, right? Um, and that's that's the kind of society that God wants us to have. So verse 12 goes on, a worthless person, a wicked man. Just stop right there. A worthless person. Well, doesn't that just sound mean? Right? Doesn't that just sound mean? I can't believe the Word of God says things like a worthless person. But folks, you got to understand, God is very straight up. You know, he's very straight up. So, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. We've already talked a little bit about that. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. God doesn't play around. He doesn't do that shifty, slight, slighty, you know... um, no, we need to be honest, full of integrity. People who, again, keep their word even to their hurt, their their hurt, their hurt. That is how God wants us to be. And then um, verses sixteen through nineteen get into uh, kind of a popular portion of Proverbs, I think. And that's where we're going to end it here, because then it gets into verses twenty through thirty-five, which I think we'll just. Um, do a little review next next time around. But um, here we go. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. So yes, there are things that God hates. It's not that he prefers one or the other. He hates these things. Now, of course, people who love God, they're, they're trying to live close and walk close with Jesus, living by the principles of God's kingdom. When we see something that God hates, we should hate it. We should avoid it. We should run away from these things, right? So let's find out what they are. Haughty eyes. God hates pride. He hates pride. It's the original sin of Satan and the angels. It's the original sin of man. I mean, it's just pride is awful. Pride is awful. Now, and again, in our society, I mean, pride is a virtue, but it's not to God. He hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. He hates these things. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. See, people who 
people who want to even just teeter-totter on the fence of the kingdom of God, well, I kind of want these aspects of the kingdom of God. You know, I like the heavenly retirement plan. I'll, I'll definitely like being blessed of God, but I like these things over here that, yeah, they might be wicked, but mm, I sure like them, so I'm going to cozy up to them. God hates that. Right? Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. So it's like two times out of seven, he mentions some kind of lying. <laughs> God really hates people who are dishonest, lying. Okay? He doesn't play. Uh, he hates that. And lastly, it says, a one who sows discord <clears throat> among brothers. And this is very important. Um, God hates it when people cause division. People sow discord. Now, we have to be careful when we say sowing discord or causing division, right? That doesn't mean that you have honest questions or you, uh, you know, you disagree on things. It doesn't say God hates disagreements. It's when we are actively causing division amongst brothers, right? Actively causing division amongst brothers. And I've seen this happen a lot of times in churches. Now, when you get to the New Testament, you read like Timothy, Titus. Um, God is very serious about uh, unity in a, in a church, in a local church body. He's very serious about unity. Unity does not mean conformity. It doesn't mean fear-based, fear-mongering, control, top-down authoritarianism, which a lot of churches do. He doesn't mean that, right? I bark orders, you follow them, and if you don't, I talk about unity and sowing discord. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is when people go amongst the brothers and they sow discord or division or disunity. So let me give you an example. Um, a leader in the church disagrees with someone who's a non-leader in the church, and they go to the scriptures and open the scriptures and discuss it, maybe over a couple days, maybe over weeks. And it Really, you know, maybe they bring a couple of objective parties in to talk about it, because this is the kind of processes that should happen, right? And, and it come to, come to find out, it's really just a, you know, we can agree to disagree. Agree to disagree, right? Don't go from there, and the non-leader or the leader now be talking about that person. Yeah, that person, they're just a problem. They're just, oh, they can't see it my way, and I think they're wrong. And that's the sowing discord. The discussion and the that kind that's not sowing discord. That's not division, right? Division is a uh, you know a church body says, hey, uh, here is something that we see in the scriptures. We believe this is true. This is right. Uh, this is what the scriptures teach on this matter. And then somebody says, well, I disagree. But instead of going to the leaders and let's hash this out, let's talk, let's you know, look at the scriptures. No, they go to everybody else and start talking about how the leadership doesn't know what they're doing. They're just oh, ignorant. Oh, they don't, they don't see things the real way, right? That's sowing discord. The other is going with honest questions to the leaders and opening the scriptures and doing the Berean methodology of um, coming to truth. 
Now, I realize, I recognize, I'm a realist. I realize that in a lot of places, a lot of churches, folks don't feel comfortable going to somebody in leadership and saying, hey, I have an honest question here. I have, maybe it's a possible disagreement or, you know, I haven't been taught this before. I, you know, first time I've ever heard this. And I, you know, again, I apologize. I'm sorry for you uh, if that's the kind of environment that you're in. But frankly, then just leave. <laughs> Get out of that kind of environment. Go to an environment where uh, you can be in a place where, A, people can agree to disagree, and B, if you have legitimate questions uh, or concerns or whatever, that, that there's approachable leadership there that you can you can interact with and always be ready, you know, to be humble and open and honest and say, hey, maybe I was wrong or whatever it is. And obviously the the baseline, right? We we have to use the Bible. <laughs> if it's a matter of feelings or whatever it is, if we get in that, there's there's nowhere to go. So if we have some kind of disagreement or discussion like that, right, the Berean way then it needs to be based off the scriptures. And if if someone does not have a, a, a scriptural position for their point or for their, you know, for, for what they believe, then really the ones who do have a scriptural position, they're the ones that are correct. Now, here's something that I should uh, I should say as well, and that is sometimes things are not, they're not right there in scripture. It's a it's sort of a uh, that church's traditional thing that they do, right? Uh, Paul actually did this. We already read in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, this is from God. And he said, oh, over here, I say this, not the Lord. <clears throat> and so in, in that instance, right, there are times where leaders of a church body might come and say, hey, this is how we like to do it here. Let me give you an example that I saw online one time. This guy was talking on YouTube, and he said, Hey, you know what? In our church, we ask that people on the pul- on the pulpit, people that sit on top of the pulpit, he said, uh, people that, that come up and are ministering from the stage, they, they call it like a, um, a, a stage standard or, or something like that, a um, platform standard, I think is what he said. Uh, that we ask, you know, the men to be clean-shaven, right? Uh, he went on to say, I mean, we don't think it's a wrong, it's wrong for men to have facial hair or something. Like Some people go that way, right? It's like if they if they have a preference, anything other than that preference is automatically like clearly God is going to send you to hell if you don't have the same preference as I do, right? That is autocratic, top-down leadership. You should escape from there um, with your integrity and humility and love and all that as well. Don't escape from there with a bad attitude and bitterness because then you just, what do you do? You're, you're, <laughs> you're no better off. But in this situation, guy was open and honest and said, hey, we don't think it's wrong to have facial hair. We just prefer that if you're going to minister from the platform, preaching or worship or whatever, that you be clean shaven. See, in that case, if somebody can't respect that, then go to the church where where you can respect, where they've put down, you know, whatever rules or whatever they abide by our traditions. You know, if you don't like that this church has one service a week at 6 a.m. on Saturday, then go to a church that 
believes things scripturally, but has a service that makes sense. I mean, you know, that's that's really the the issue is that there are many things that are just tradition within a local body. And as long as that local body doesn't turn them into scriptural issues, like this is now what the Bible teaches, they say, hey, this is a preference here. <coughs> What's wrong with that? You know, I, I, I don't agree. Um, I don't see anything wrong with somebody having facial hair up, up on the platform. Uh, here at our church, you know, pastoral team, elders, preaching, teaching team, like nobody has ever seen that as an issue. So that's not something we do. But I can respect someone who says, it's just a thing we do. We, we just prefer, okay, if, if, there, if you feel a call to teach and minister from that platform, shave your goatee, <laughs> right? I mean, what, how is that a big deal? Um, and there are other things like that. We may, you may have a, a leadership, you know, if somebody's going to be in, in Sunday school, teaching Sunday school, you may have a standard of, uh, of, of behavior or, you know, things like that, then uh, it's not really necessarily scriptural. Um, but it's, this is what we decided we, we want people to do. Now this happens all the time, everywhere we go, there are standards, from airline pilots to baristas at you know Starbucks and um, all across the board, right? Teachers have standards, lawyers have standards. You have you have you know uh, sp- certain certificates and and um, annual fees and stuff you have to pay and standards of conduct and there's all kinds of stuff that we have to abide by all over the place. And so I think there's some room. For, for churches to, you know, not get overly dogmatic with it, but hey, we've got some some basic requirements to be in this ministry or that ministry. The problem is when it, it it turns into like, well, I mean, you're not even, you know, if you have facial hair, you're you're kind of kind of second rate citizen. You're not even really saved, possibly. You know, that, that kind of stuff is where it gets a problem. And some places go that far. But again, Paul said, hey, this is my opinion. And then other times he said, hey, you know what? This is from God. And I think churches should be able to have a little bit of a leniency, no, leeway. That's the word I was looking for. They should have a little bit of leeway to be able to have some things that they feel like, hey, this is how we like to do things. So, again, I I don't see that as discord or, um, uh, you know, some uh, sowing of, of division or anything like that. But God does hate when people cause division. And so we should be of the mind that we want to do what we can not to cause division. We want to not cause division. We want to support the church. We want to be behind leadership that's been called of God to be in a position. And again, some places, some churches have leaders in that place that they're not called of God. They're just somebody who had the right degree and, you know, went in with a, with a great resume and interviewed well and they got that position or they've come up and it was kind of a one of those like generational hand-me-down things where it's like this man was called but then you're three generations deep with the great-great-grandson who doesn't even hardly care about God but because he's in the bloodline man he's going to be the pastor like that kind of stuff I get it that stuff happens of course you're dealing with people um, but in those situations that's where you just say hey I don't I don't like this. I don't want to be in, involved with this. I'm out of here. 
as opposed to staying and causing division, <laughs> right? You know, that's the issue. God does not like it when we cause division. In fact, he hates it. That's what it says right here. So I think I'm going to just end it right there. We are uh, we're 19 verses deep here into um, Proverbs chapter 6. And the next, uh, the next uh, let's see, 20 through 35, they, they go back, kind of circle back around into adultery and, and such. So we're going to um, end it here. We'll do a little bit of review on that. I don't think we'll do another deep dive on, um, on adultery because, again, I think we did a good enough job last time. And um, we are also going to be doing a, a series, as I said on the last podcast, we're going to do a series on the Ten Commandments. We'll also deal with adultery and all that stuff there. So, but you can just see kind of looking ahead, right? Verse 20 talks about, uh, starts going into adultery, and you can see how serious God is about adultery, how serious he is because it destroys people, destroys that covenant of marriage, destroys families, destroys societies. And so it is a big deal in the scripture. So we should uh, always keep it right there, locked in, and like, no, we cannot tolerate this. We cannot have this. We must avoid it. Um, So we'll talk a little bit more about that next time. So hope this has helped you. Love you guys. Definitely uh, do all those things that we talked about at the beginning. Like, subscribe, comment, uh, share it on uh, Spotify and the different podcast um, services as well as YouTube. And we will catch you on the next episode.